0: Today we're reading Luke chapter 5 in the season of Epiphany. This week we get to see Jesus, call some of the disciples, and tell them that they will be fishers of people. I'm Alicia McClintock. And I'm Megan Cardew. And this is the A Plain Account.
1: the Common English Bible. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. One day, Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennarset when the crowd pressed around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord thanks, thanks
0: be the to God that. oh this is a familiar story isn't it Megan I, it is I feel like we we hear this really frequently actually in Sunday school I did a long stint as a kindergarten Sunday school teacher when I was um a high school student and even into my like early college days it's like quite a lot of um yeah Sunday school stories for sweet five-year-olds. I think we were talking before we went live about a a song that accompanies this passage that maybe has us thinking about some of the other themes here in a different way. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah, there's a song that you might
1: remember. I'll go ahead and sing it for us. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. This is a classic like Sunday school kid song. Like I grew up singing it. Um, and there's motions, like hand motions that go with the song. And it's, you know, <laughs> the the hand motions are like, you can imagine like a bunch of kindergartners, as you said, like casting mm-hmm. out fishing poles. And mm-hmm. so you cast out your fishing pole and then, you know, the hand motion is then to like spin your hand and reel it in. Um, and it strikes me that The fishermen here, Simon Peter, James and John, Zebedee's sons, they are not using fishing poles. They are fishing with nets. And so like a more, and who knows, maybe your kindergarten Sunday school had different motions than mine. But in mine, (laughs) it was this fishing pole motion with the reel it in. But I think it's an important distinction to make from the beginning because this casting of nets that, you know, our story is going to end with, with this, I will make you, uh, you know, the song says, it doesn't use a gender inclusive fishing, fishing for men, but the, the scripture as I read, it says, right, you'll be fishing for people. It's a really different type of fishing to fish with a net, like God's net, it, the, the net that Jesus will cast out in his ministry with, with the people that are here on these boats, is going to be one that's expansive and mm-hmm. huge and Jesus's net is wide and and it says to go into the deep water so there's just the contrast of this image feels to me really important and might be something like fun and a way into your sermon that can actually do a lot of exegetical homiletical work for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really compelling and can speak to some of the ways that Jesus also continues to talk about the kingdom. I'm reminded of the ways that Jesus is ultimately the one who sifts the wheat and separates the sheep from the goats or, or would, um, divide up the catch, right? The The thing is when you, when you cast this net wide, you don't get to choose what, <laughs> what it picks up along the way, right? And some things belong and some things don't, but that's like, like ultimately will be Jesus's responsibility as the, the, the other language it. That we have to talk about Jesus, like the Master of the Harvest, and these other kinds of things. That when we're talking about fishing for people, it seems to me that our responsibility is to cast the net wide and right. to leave the rest up to Jesus, right? Right. Um. It. I guess it seems to me that that's how Jesus thinks about the work. Um, Absolutely. Or at least as I'm reading the scriptures, right?
1: Well, and it's. It totally connects to our conversation last week about Luke Four, the chapter just before. You know, what is it that makes the people of Nazareth so enraged and it with what Jesus says? It's not the first, it's not the quoting Isaiah, it's his interpretation of what Isaiah is saying, which is this, you know, the places in which Gentiles' faithfulness is is made known. So it seems like there's almost like even before we have this fishing scene, like we have this glimpse already of the fact that Jesus's net is going to be wide and he's going to cast it deep and it's going to make
0: some people mad. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, there are also some some other interesting emotive words and feeling Indicators in this text, right? Not like not just anger, like we had in uh, last week's passage. Um, But I'm really intrigued by Peter's responses here. I have a soft spot for Peter. He just seems like we all should. Right? He's he's the resident loudmouth who just like literally says what everybody else is thinking. Right? He's the I. Yeah, he's the resident spokesperson. I like that better. Loudmouth sounds pejorative. <laughs> but like I, like I said, I have a soft spot for um his honesty, his authenticity, and I'm finding it a a really um intriguing door into the passage this week. Uh so we have we have Peter who's spent all night fishing. Casting his net as wide as he can, and um, and he's a professional fisherman. He knows what he's doing, we assume. Right. And, and then, and then there's this stranger who says, like, "Hey, can I borrow your boat <laughs> for a little bit?" And um, also, now you should go out in deeper water and throw your net down on the other side of the boat. And he's like, um, "Listen." We've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll give it a try. And I'm really intrigued by I don't I don't know if this is reading too much into it, but I read a kind of like begrudgingness into it. He's sure. like listen, who are you to tell me what to do? But still, because you say so, I'll I'll give it a try. And then there's this miraculous catch a fish that requires like another boat to come and haul it all in. Um, And that triggers a very different reaction in Peter who comes to kneel before Jesus and says like, like, please like, leave me alone. I'm a sinful person. So we go from this kind of like begrudging willingness to do what Jesus asks him to do to a, a, a moment of shame or fear or unworthiness. And he says, like, 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 please don't ever speak to me again. I'm not worthy. (laughs) Right. And and Jesus has some interesting responses there as well as well. How does Peter land with you this week? Like what's, what's catching your attention? Well, I, I think I heard it a little bit different.
1: Um, okay. I think the begrudging is there of course. And you know, I really want to encourage our listeners that there's so much interpretation that can be done just in your reading, uh, reading the scripture aloud before the sermon. Mm -hmm. And in some churches that is done by the preacher and other, in other church contexts, it's done by another reader of scripture. So however you're going to interpret Peter especially if it's like the like it really matters for where your sermon is going coach that person on how to read this line cuz Alicia's yeah. hearing it begrudgingly and I read it a little bit more like wearily or compassionately like yeah but because you say so right but like the sarcastic or begrudging reading would be like master we've worked hard all night and caught nothing but because you say so or like because you say so. Like have <laughs> right. fun with it. Whatever it's going to be, right? So I think it can definitely and these are both faithful readings. I think it's like worth
0: saying. Um so yeah, there's whether a lot, it's, because there's a lot of sacred imagination that totally. like we don't we don't get stage directions uh in in the margins of of our scriptures, right? As if we're reading a play for right. to, like to be to be dramatized. Um but it's also again really helpful to remember that the scriptures were written to be read aloud in their original Absolutely. context and so it it really does matter how we hear them um, not just how our eyes scan them on the page but how our ears hear them it, it really impacts our our reading and and there is space for for these tones um, to exist simultaneously. Totally. Um, and you in, could in even do
1: that in your, like this is an underutilized sermon uh strategy, I would say, is to just even wonder aloud, like this is another kind of weigh-in potential to your sermon. Like, what did Peter's voice sound like that day? Yeah. Did he say this with joy? Because you say so, Lord, I'll drop the nets. Or was it, Begrudgingly. Like you could even do this in your sermon.
0: Right. Um,
1: and you know, I think it, we also have to be honest about where we're at. I mean, I think part of the reason I'm, you know, maybe <laughs> I won't put this on you, Alicia. Why is Alicia hearing <laughs> this begrudgingly? Why is Megan <laughs> hearing it with weariness? Like, well, I'll always speak for yourself. But, you know, for me with the weariness, it's like, oh my goodness, it turns out I'm still pastoring a church in a global pandemic.
0: Um, uh. you know,
1: and you know, we've made the move back online, hopefully for a short time, um, after meeting outside for a long time. And it's just, you know, so when I read this, I'm like, master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. Like we're just tired. (laughs) Yeah. But because you say so, like I'll show up again. To Zoom, <laughs> right? right? And look at my people in the tiny boxes. <laughs> like, because yes. you say so. And so I just, you know, a word to all of all of you who are weary, who are carrying grief, who are, uh, you know, pastoring and parenting and have inconsistent childcare and whatever it may be, like, or suffering yourself from COVID or have lost a loved one, like, yeah. <laughs> We have worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, Lord,
0: like I'll drop the nuts. Uh yeah, I love that. And and to uh follow your example, maybe speak kind of how how my personal experience is maybe coloring that begrudging kind of tone, right? I, I think it's just so easy for me to relate to Peter in this moment where it feels like. Like you're trying everything you know how to do and you are relying on your intuition, your research, your logic, um, ev- everything that you've been trained for and nothing is working. And then somebody comes in to say something really obvious that you've already tried. Like, hey, why don't you do this thing? And <laughs> this <laughs> is sort of like begrudgingness of like, um, don't tell me what to do. I know my own life. I know my own mind. <laughs> So right, I know this church. Right, we've done that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've yeah. done we've done that before. That's not going to work in our context. Or you don't know my people. You don't know our right, community. Right. You don't know our neighborhood. All of that sort of stuff. That maybe speaks to my uh, like the very occasional rebellious, angry, stubborn streak that comes out as an Enneagram Nine every once in a while. <laughs> um, it like it rears its head. Um, but then there are there are some particular people in my life who I trust implicitly and trust deeply. And even if they tell me something that I'm stubbornly resistant to, I will say, because you say so, I'll I'll give it a try because, because you say so, I like, I'll, I'll show up and I'll do it begrudgingly um, because you, whoever that person is, there are like several faces in my mind right now. um, But because you say so, I'll give it a try and you've proven yourself faithful enough Um, safe enough that even if I feel this inner resistance, I I know that there will be some fruit at the end, right? Even if it seems silly or dumb or frivolous or superfluous or whatever, fill in the blank, whatever is the root cause of my resistance, because you say so, I'll try it. (laughs) And then I am usually, almost always, surprised by nice. the by the return of that kind of fruit. Um and and then I have to uh then I have to confess and make some amends for being stubborn or or resistant later on. Um but but I'm I'm really uh compelled and comforted by Peter in this moment who isn't disqualified for being frustrated or um or resistant or stubborn if that's the case. Nor right. is he disqualified for being weary or tired or worn out and worn down if that's the case. Or perhaps it's a bit of both, right? Like at least in in my in my life, I get to those moments of stubbornness and and, uh, and resistance because I'm tired or because the things I've been trying haven't been working and I'm frustrated, right? Like there, there are things that should be moving in a particular way or so they seem to me and they're not right. And so I'm tired and worn out. and frustrated and all of that gets kind of mixed up together. And maybe I'm reading my own life experience onto Peter, but I don't, I don't think too much, right? Like I, I think, I think that there's some very natural affinity here and I am finding that deeply comforting as I think about Peter as a companion on the journey. Yeah, because Jesus, like,
1: because Peter says this back to Jesus, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets, like whether it's grudging or weary, whatever it is, he still like after this happens is called to be a disciple Right? Exactly. Or it's like from now on, this is what you're going to be doing, fishing for people. So it's it's like it doesn't you're so right to point to like the fact that it doesn't disqualify him at all. And in fact, like he, as I love what you said, he's the honest spokesperson for the
0: group um, <laughs> right. and not
1: just here over and over and over, again.
0: over and over. Because because then we can, again, this is beyond our pericope for today, but I think it's important to also remember um, the like really crucial conversations that Jesus has with the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter offers, right, his, his honest, um, feelings and perspectives and Jesus offers some correctives to Jesus, right? Or Jesus offers some correctives to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, when Peter has his own ideas and agenda about how things should go. Um, but again, that doesn't disqualify him. His honesty and his authenticity and being exactly who he is in the moment doesn't, I'll disqualify him from following Jesus, but is in fact um, like the very raw material that Jesus needs to form faithful disciples. Hmm. Right. Yes.
1: Amen. Let's look at what other the other kind of words we have from Peter. Um, Definitely. We have this next moment after the boats are so full, they're about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. And then Mm. Jesus' response to Simon is, don't be afraid. And, you know, I feel like the emphasis is often on the next line, which we've already named many times. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. But before that instruction is this, like, imperative that, of course, we have so many times in scripture, don't be afraid. Alicia, mm. what do you, what do you see? What do you, how do you read this? Leave me Lord for I'm a sinner. This kind of like falling at Jesus knees here. We do have the drama cue. Like we do have the theater instruction. He yes. fell at Jesus knees and said, leave me Lord for I'm a sinner. Like, how do you read that today?
0: Uh yeah. Um, again, I think I'm just really, uh, captured by the ways that like, like multiple feelings are existing in the same place. I I guess that's one way of saying that I'm really captured by the deep humanity of this passage, both mm. of Jesus and and of Peter here and and to have this like really um nuanced portrait of the of the human experience, right? Cuz there there's this sense I think of um of overwhelming joy and gratitude at this like abundant catch of fish. And then there's this sense of, um, like I'm not worthy to receive such a gift. Or I think, I think there's maybe a little bit of, of, shame or we, or, or, or at least embarrassment. I think about how, how he responded to Jesus in the first place, right? right? Like whether, whether it was whatever his tone was, or however his voice sounded to Jesus, I, I think that Peter feels a bit ashamed of how he spoke to this person who is clearly way more than he seemed. Right. And, and there's this sense, I think of, And wonder and mystery. And, um, I can't help but think of Joe, but like, I spoke of things that were too wonderful for me, like things beyond my ken, as, Mm. um, as, as my Irish or Scottish friends would say, like beyond my understanding, beyond my realm of knowing, um, I've been really intrigued by the way that Luke keeps using the word amazement or astonishment. Like everybody seems to be amazed or astonished in the gospel of Luke so far, right? I'm amazed about angels' proclamations, amazed about uh, babies being born, <laughs> uh, amazed about uh, prophecies in the temple, uh, amazed about teaching, uh, all of these sorts of things. I feel like at least once a chapter so far, we've had the word amazement or astonishment, and um, in in the Greek, we'll do a little bit of etymology corner over here. That <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> uh, like this this word is like very very close. It's it it's literally translated either way as amazement, astonishment, wonder, or awe. Right, awesome. Um, but it's very very close to this idea of terror. Right. To be mm. to be um struck with awe is to to be full of wonder, but also to realize like this thing is scary. Like it's so big, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. It's also like frighteningly dangerous in its mm. own kind of way. It's full of power. This is, if you permit literature, Alicia also to <laughs> kind of step into the ring. This is like deeply a part of uh what's called the romantic movement in literature, whereas there's this like this like connection to um, nature and the natural world is full of like like beauty, but also of raw power. Like think about standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or on the top of a mountain and you're full of awe and wonder at something that is so giant, so big, so beautiful, beyond your understanding, like older and more ancient than you are or could ever be. And it's also dangerous. You could fall over, (laughs) right? And and you could be gone, right? Like you, you you are a like... Like you are a blip on the map, right? Um, Or to use maybe scriptural language here, like the, the grass fades, like the flowers fall here today and gone tomorrow. You are dust and to dust you shall return, right? It's the sense of being overwhelmed by something that is so much bigger than you. Anyway, all of that to say that I think that that's what's happening repeatedly as people encounter Jesus, right? There's this sense of awe and wonder and mystery and it's, it's overwhelmingly beautiful and powerful, but that power also like strikes terror in our hearts. Like it's, it's scary in its own kind of way because it's also frequently paired with like people are amazed, like, and, and it's this, it's this like. Venn diagram of like wonder and terror all at the same time. Um, And Jesus consistently says, don't be afraid because they have reason to be afraid. I think of this, of this like overwhelming kind of power. Yeah. Does that make sense at all?
1: Don't be afraid. And, and I think that that's, I mean, that's a really important word in the face of (laughs) like, not only like the power of this, this, whatever you might say, like this miracle or this miraculous catch, or um, or the fact that the boat is so full, like it might fall over or might tip over. Um, there's also reason to be fearful in following Jesus, right? I mean, ultimately, yeah. like we know the end of the story. So I think too, like for the disciples in this place, like what is following Jesus going to mean for my life or look like for my life? And it's going
0: to be worth it. And also I'm going to probably need to hear do not be afraid. Yeah. Yep. And thanks be to God. Jesus, uh, continues to remind us that, that there, that, that we do not have to be ruled by fear, though there might be reason to be afraid, very legitimate reasons to be afraid. We do not need to be ruled by fear. Um, uh, I, frequently also in this um in in these kinds of conversations that Jesus has he'll he'll say take heart or be of good courage right and and we don't have you don't need to be courageous you don't need to take heart if there's not a reason to be afraid in the first place right, right. if there's no reason to be afraid you're not actually courageous right like you're you're just you're cozy and comfortable um so so in these in these places where where the disciples are overwhelmed by by both awe and terror and and kind of get, catch a glimpse of the of the weight and responsibility and heaviness of what they might be stepping into Jesus always encourages them don't be afraid take heart be of good courage like strengthen your hands um stay stay on the way and um. yeah. And, and I, I guess I'm, I'm compelled by that ending of this story. Like Jesus says, I will make you fishers of people, or I'll help you learn how to fish for people, right? That, that Jesus is a guide and a teacher and a companion in that space. He doesn't just send them out to do something scary on their own. Right. Disciples are always sent out in, at minimum in pairs of two. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's feeling compelling to me, to me too. We, I mean, we haven't really talked about uh, some of the other characters in our story, James and John as sons of of Zebedee. We'll hear more from them later in in the gospel. They don't really have speaking parts here, but again, it just feels They were amazed to, too. <laughs> they, they were also amazed. They were also amazed. And it feels, I, get, I think, again, helpful to say that like... Um, yeah, the, that the disciples are never sent out alone, whether whether that's into the, the wearisome, difficult work or in this like joyful work of hauling in the catch. Both of those things um, are, are done in companionship, in following Jesus. And so I think that kind of discipleship community is worth noting here, even though we don't have any speaking lines from James and John here. I think like enfolding them into this idea of community feels important.
1: Well, they can't even pull in all the fish without without hollering over signals for their partners on the other boat. Yep. To come and help them. Yeah, it's a it's a group effort.
0: Yep. Thanks be to God for a community of discipleship. Well, we are going to take a quick break um to Some of these themes and to say a brief prayer. Stick around for our thoughts on preaching and applying the text after.
1: Hear the sonnet from Malcolm Guit titled Saint Peter. Impulsive master of misunderstanding you comfort me with all your big mistakes. Jumping the ship before you make the landing, placing the bet before you know the stakes. I love the way you step out without knowing. The way you sometimes speak before you think. The way your faith is always growing. The way he holds you even when you sink born to a world that always tried to shame you, your shaky ego vulnerable to shame. I love the way that Jesus chose to name you before you knew how to deserve that name. And in the end, your Savior let you prove that each denial is undone by love.
0: Thank you, Megan, for that beautiful sonnet from Malcolm Gweet. I love that last line. Each denial is undone by love. Now that we're back, let's talk about how we would apply this text or how we might bring this text into a preaching moment. We've talked a little bit about uh, characters and tone and um, some simple word studies so far, but what are some other like homiletical handles or reflection questions that are sticking with you as you think about teaching and preaching this passage this week? Well,
1: I'm really interested in exploring what this story like the first part, the the actual fishing, like what is it that Jesus is showing the disciples about fishing for people? And mm. it seems to me there's at least like three things that like Jesus could have, I mean, Jesus could have told them we're going to be fishing for people at any moment, right? But it was, it was in this mm-hmm. scene that, you know, really sticking closely with this scene and this story. What is fishing for people going to be like? And I would say that the first thing we see is that sometimes you're going to work all night and you're going to catch nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) amen, been there. So you can explore that however you wish in your context. I think the possible points of landing are numerous. Uh, But, you know, also there's the second instruction that the disciples need to row out further into deeper water. And I'm really interested in what parallels might be there. The difference between fishing in shallow water versus fishing in deep water. And the, you know, there's a lot of biblical imagery here that that could make for some really meaningful parallels. We have the deep that cries out to deep, um, all of the water imagery that's Mm -hmm. here, boats. I mean, you know, read this story in light of other stories and see see what might come up with this image but the need to row out further like into deeper water like we're not it's like we're not we don't always go far enough right um and Jesus is of course like pushing those boundaries all the time and those borders and thinking about like our conversation last week um what are the the boundaries that that we live within and, and how to cross those and how Jesus is crossing them. And it seems that there's even like a boundary here between the shallow water and the deep water. And it's not until they're in the deep water that they, you know, they make this catch. Um, but then the third, I think, is to cast your nuts wide, right? So moving back to like a, the, just the small difference in interpretation based on this like children's song. Right, that the kind of fishing that's happening here and the kind of fishing that's gonna be happening as they're fishing for people is net fishing. It's this big, mm-hmm. expansive, boundary-breaking kind of fishing, um, where we don't get to choose like who's in or out. And it's not it's not like our choice, it's the it's the work of God. So that's a just a question. Like, I think yeah. that that sitting with these. Like what is Jesus showing us about fishing for people based on like what's already happened in the story? I think that might be
0: a really meaningful place for some homiletical exploration. I think that's so great. That's so great. I think the the other thing that popped into my mind as you were as you were speaking and I'm reflecting continually on this image is that um net fishing is um primarily commercial fishing, right? They're they're not they're not catching pet (laughs) goldfish, right? Like it's, it's primarily like they're, they're fishing for their, for, for their livelihood. But I, I think the reason that resonates with me is that they, they don't cling on to any of these. Like they send them back out to the market to like into the world. And so I, I think I'm, I'm convicted by this idea of, of Jesus teaching the disciples what it means to cast their net wide, but also to know that the things that they catch don't belong to them. Like the things, the things that they catch are for other people, the things that they like, right. So like, if you're, if you're fishing for people, the people who you catch don't belong to you. Like they're meant to be sent back out into the world for, for the nourishment of somebody else, right. For the encouragement of somebody else, for the furtherance of God's reign in the world. Right. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think, I think that that's definitely, um, a word to us today when, when we, Can cling really tightly to the things that we perceive as ours, which again, I think, I think, I think that reading is really um, influenced by where we've just been in the lectionary, right? This the sense of of rage that grows from a people who hears Jesus's message to the outsider to say, like, there are people who are included that are not you. There are people ahead of you in the line. That it's it's a very different reality than what you thought that it was. Um, And so I'm, I'm. intrigued by this idea of of casting the net wide and then also having this kind of open-handedness, this this releasing back. Yeah, well, and we're
1: going to hear from Luke like a different image of, I guess we might say like fishing for people, like we're going to hear later and mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the threefold parables, the lost sheep, lost coin and prodigal son later on in Luke, like we're going to yes. have this kind of God that goes after the one and and that's a beautiful image and i love that like so so much but it's it seems to me that it's sometimes overemphasized uh like over and against this kind of net image this like right. expansive right. boundary breaking wide and deep like reach of god to the depths the very depths of the sea right like so yeah so, it's not that that's not also important. It is, but it's just like, trust it's coming in the lectionary and preach this now.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let them both right, be true right. because they are both true at the same time, right? This like really expansive message, this like, yeah, boundary breaking, category exploding, wide, wide net. Um, and also at the same time, we have. The lost sheep, lost son, lost coin, and right, the God who right. goes after the one, right? But Bo- like both of those are true at the same time. And then um that ought to be reflected in our really regular preaching about, yeah, preach this now. And and when lost sheep, lost coin, lost son comes up in the lectionary, preach that, right? right. Then, right? Like be attentive to the to the fitting word as yeah, you remind us, man Absolutely.
1: I'm I'm also struck by the final line of the lection for today, well, twofold. The The first being that Jesus uses their own vocation, their own work, their own like job mm-hmm. as the lens in which to like describe the work they're going to do later, um, which feels to me really significant. Yeah. Like he's so validating of like what they do. Uh, and And we know like in our kind of general historical knowledge of this time, like Jesus is validating work that was not desirable work. Right for a lot of people, Um, and yet he says like he could use some other image, but instead he's like, now you're going to be fishing for people. So there's this kind of like validation of like what they know and love and and can do well already. But then the yeah final line they left everything and followed Jesus. I mean that there's there's never a day that there can't be like a whole sermon about like what do we have to leave behind to follow Jesus. Yeah. And it, it can sound like so simple, but it is so difficult and it, you know, and it's not just like, it is material. Absolutely. It's, it could be relational. Like what do we have to leave behind to follow Jesus? And certainly for the disciples, it's, it's, it's both, it's material and relational, right? They're leaving behind their families and yeah. their communities to follow Jesus to do this work. And then we know that it's especially material because later we're going to hear that they're sent out, like, don't even take an extra coat, you know, um, no money, no sandwich, right. nothing. So, So it's, it's really both of these things. And so there's, I think there's always just this call upon us to leave everything and follow Jesus. And what does that look like? Where's the invitation there with your people?
0: Yes, absolutely. I I so agree. There is not a Sunday where I could not preach a whole sermon about what it means to decide to follow Jesus and to to leave everything behind and follow Him. That I I don't think we can overemphasize this work in the Christian life um, and what it means to have a. Uh, a clearer and deeper understanding of who Jesus is and the way that Jesus asks us to walk. I think that's one of the reasons why on the podcast we consistently focus or have in the past consistently focused on the gospel readings, trusting that a clear understanding of who Jesus is and the work of discipleship will be um absolutely influential in any community at any moment that this is the work. This is the work that that we that we do and it's it's deceptively simple if you've got like that again sunday school song i've decided to follow jesus rolling in your mind um but though it is uh it is uh the words are simple to say it is not straightforward or it's not uncomplicated it's not it's not without um nuance and um and application and interpretation in in these times um but i i just am am consistently and forever convinced that with eyes fixed firmly on who jesus actually is the way becomes clear no turning back no turning back no turning back <laughs> This has been such a, a great conversation of a familiar passage that is shining to me in new ways. so thanks for um, in, indulging uh, this this wondering, this sacred imagination about Peter's tone about what Jesus might be teaching them and we hope as always that it's helpful for our listeners in their in their particular communities and in, in all y'all's preaching this week. I think that's all the time that we have for today. So we'll invite our listeners to check out the website for more written commentaries for the scriptures this week. And we remind you all every week to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the know. It's a great way to be up to date with everything that's happening here. You can connect with us on social media for further conversation and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share with your friends. It really helps get the word out. Special thanks to all the writers who contributed this week and to Matt Ghost for our original music, editing, and production. Join us next week as we continue celebrating the epiphany season in the Basque of Luke. See you then.